The PKD Black Box is a proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. This is the PKD Black Box, episode 51. This week's PKD Black Box is brought to you by the original graphic novel, Jetta, Tales of the Toshigawa, Full Circle, by Martheus Wade, Kevin Williams, and Janet Wade. After the revelation of betrayal told by her mortal enemy Terminus, Jetta must now decide whether to fight beside the Toshigawa or not, and her decision may rest on the shoulders of the one she loves most, Kim. For Jetta, nothing will ever be the same again. Don't miss this exciting chapter of the Jetta series. Plus, as a special offer, those who purchase Jetta Tales of the Toshigawa Full Circle will receive a free digital story called Jetta Admiration that you will be able to download directly from MyDigitalComics.com. This story will shed more light on events that happen inside the pages of Full Circle and will be an important addition to the events that unfold. It will also have a four-page preview of their next spin-off book, Tura, Gun Angel. Jetta Tales of the Toshigawa Full Circle is available at DCBService.com for $4.95. Once again, that's DCBService.com. Welcome back to the PKD Black Box. I'm your host, Sean Pryor. This week's episode, we bring back artist Dave Beatty and special guest host Daryl Taylor as we talk about everything that we possibly can about the Superpowers toy collection from the 80s. Um, So sit back, relax, relax. We're going to get our inner geek on, relive some childhood memories, and uh, give a lot of love and props to Kenner, the creators of the Superpowers toy line. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode. But before we get to our feature presentation, I just wanted to give a shout out to Jay Potts, a fellow friend and comic creator. You may have heard the interview that I did with Jay Potts um, about his webcomic World of Hurt on the PKD Black Box episode 45. And if you haven't, go back and take a listen to it. It's it's quite dope. Black exploitation all the way, baby. It's a nice one. But uh, what my good friend has done, he has started and launched his own uh, Kickstarter campaign to take his World of Hurt webcomic from the web to bookshelves. The online comic strip World of Hurt, which can be found at worldofhurtonline.com, is proud to announce the launch of a Kickstarter campaign to raise funds necessary to self-publish its award-winning storyline, The Thrill Seekers, as a hardcover graphic novel. World of Hurt, the internet's number one black exploitation webcomic, is a serial adventure strip set in the early 1970s. It combines the format and storytelling traditions of classic newspaper strips like Peter O'Donnell's Modesty Blaze and Alex Raymond's Rip Kirby with the visceral energy and iconography of the black action movies of the 1970s such as Shaft and Superfly. The strip follows the adventures of Isaiah Pastor Hurt, a two-fisted stylish streetwise fixer who will handle any problem for the price of two favors. The Thrill Seekers finds Pastor in the middle of a search for a missing college student named Alicia Patterson. When the missing person case turns into a murder investigation, Pastor's relentless quest for justice takes him from the city's ghetto to a secret club of powerful, high-society hedonists. World of Hurt has been alive since April 2009. In 2010, it earned three Glyph Comics Awards for Jay Potts, the strip's creator-slash-writer-slash-artist and for Best Artist, Best Male Character, and the Rising Star Award. And this year, World of Hurt was nominated for a Glyph Comics Award in the category of Best Comic Strip or Webcomic. The World of Hurt Kickstarter campaign features a promotional trailer that includes the song The Black Fist. The song was written specifically for the strip by C.E. Garcia of the Black Dynamite Sound Orchestra. And the song is also currently available exclusively on iTunes. If you go to kickstarter.com and type World of Hurt in their search header and hit enter, you will see Jay Potts' uh, Potts's, uh, Kickstarter campaign for 
World of Hurt. He has some great rewards to those who donate. I hope to donate very soon. And he's trying to raise $5,700 for the project. And as of this recording, he's raised over $2,200 for the project. So if you like black exploitation, you love comic books, you love just classic art and beautiful storytelling, if you got a couple of dollars, donate to the World of Hurt Kickstarter campaign by Jay Potts and you will dig it immensely. But I wanted to give that shout out to Jay because he's been real supportive of the PKD Black Box. He's a really great guy and he's just a true talent in the comics game and I just felt that it was necessary to spread that love. So there you go. Good luck Jay and continue best to you. And now our feature presentation. I'm on the line right now with the man of many talents. You heard his voice during our second Kung Fu Explosion episode. He is a talented artist. He's a cover artist, a letterer, a colorist, an inker, penciler, writer. You name it, this man can do it. His name is Dave Beatty. And Dave, how are you doing, sir? I am. I'm doing good, Sean. How are you doing? Uh, doing fantastic. Thank you for coming back on the show. Oh, well, I'm, I'm happy to be here. And I'm a big fan of the podcast. So anytime I get a chance to come on, I'm, I'm happy to be here. Appreciate all the work that you've been doing lately. You've been hopping from doing stuff with Boom, doing stuff with DC. And we'll get with some of that in a, in a minute. But before we do that, we have a special guest host for this episode of the PKD Black Box. Some of you have heard his voice on this podcast before. You've also heard him on some such podcast as Comic Book Roadshow, the No Apologies podcast, the Nothing's On podcast, and the Fixers Hideout. And yeah, I said it. This man has more podcasts and spinoffs than William Shatner did in the 80s, like when he was doing TJ Hooker and Rescue 911. He is known to be the illegitimate love child of Diane Carroll and Nipsey Russell. Ladies and gentlemen, Daryl Taylor. Daryl, how you doing, sir? I'm fine. I'm fine. I looked at the contracts. Everything works out. I could be on the show. Okay, you. <laughs> you're welcome. You have you, you you have too many podcasts, but damn it, I love you. So, and we're glad that you could be on. So you know we can all talk and collaborate with Dave uh, this evening. Now we are here to talk about the Superpowers Collection. The super the Superpowers Collection was uh, not only a, a classic toy line that ran for about three or four years, featuring such characters as as the big guns like Superman, Batman, Aquaman, uh, Wonder Woman, and whatnot. There's also something. Inside of the inside of the package of the first two series of Superpowers action figures, there were also a major influence on some of us, and those were the mini comics inside of them. So we're going to talk about the Superpowers toy collection. We're going to talk about the mini comics. We're just going to you know just get all in there, share some memories, and have some good times with that. But before we do that, we want to talk a little bit with Dave. Last time Dave was on the show, he was working on uh, inking uh, issues of Brightest Day, and now his run on inking uh, Brightest Day has finally uh, come to an end. So Dave, if you don't mind. What would, how do you feel about your overall, overall experience working on the Brightest Day project? Um, it was uh, a tremendous opportunity, and, and uh, I'm happy to have been a part of it. You know, to, tying into the superpowers thing, as a kid, I loved Firestorm. And the Firestorm action figure was one of my favorite action figures when I was a kid. So when I was trying to get into the industry and, and work in comics, 
there was one of those characters that I thought, well, I'll never get to work on Firestorm because Ronnie Raymond was dead. Now I know some characters die and come back, but I really never imagined that I would have a hand in, in helping bring Ronnie Raymond back. And to get to work on those was, was a real thrill. You know, it's kind of cool. I mean, I got to work with Jeff Johns. I got to work with a good friend of mine, Scott Clark, who does a fantastic job in pencils. We pushed the boundaries with what we could do because we work digitally. So we're using a lot of different techniques to create our pages. But overall, it's, I'd say it was a good experience. And uh, I'm really uh, grateful and, and very happy to have had the chance to work on the series. What projects are you heading towards in, in the later months? Well, unfortunately, I'm not really allowed to say because it oh. hasn't been announced. <laughs> oh, no problem. No problem. Understandable. <laughs> but yeah, it, in the interim, things I've worked on that are, that are coming out here uh, in the next couple of weeks. We've got our last issue of Brightest Day will be coming out soon. I'm still doing covers for Traveler and Irredeemable for Boom. I have some stuff that's actually in the Art of Boom Studios book, which was kind of cool. It's kind of nice when you have stuff in an Art of book and you didn't have to also publish it and come up with the money for it. So that was kind of fun. So I have lots of other things kind of coming down the road. Definitely more stuff with DC, but at the moment I'm not really allowed to talk about it but hopefully i will soon so oh no and that's fine i trust me i understand those non-disclosure agreements you know we'd rather have you continue to get a paycheck than not get a paycheck and get in trouble i I appreciate that i I like being able to pay my bills Well, I've been um, reading the um, brightest date. Was the Firestorm pages the only ones you worked on, or did you work on overall stories? Uh, no, I just worked on the Firestorm pages. Basically, I for for good or bad, which in some ways it's good and bad. I am basically Scott Clark's inker right now, and then I also do color assist on the uh, the Boom Studios covers. Yeah, just just the Firestorm stuff. Well, there was a page when you thought Firestorm destroyed the universe, like that was that last page. Uh-huh. That looked awesome. Like how did you how did that page cuz a lot of people remember that particular issue because of that. I mean, it was just kind of scripted in the page and we just did a lot of effects and and just really tried to make it, you know, really kind of intense with how we handled the storytelling. I don't have any really particularly, I guess, mind-bending revelations about that. It was just, you know, we just tried to do something really cool with the effects. We're doing a lot of stuff because of how we work digital. We're using a lot of 3D and, and kind of CGI effects and different kinds of things through Photoshop. And so we'll render specific things like, a well, a lot of the fire effects are actually painted in Photoshop, but it's, it's kind of a combination of a whole bunch of stuff. But I think it's kind of the digital tool tools that enables us to really kind of take it a, a little bit further than if we were working traditional. And there's nothing wrong with working traditional. Um, just like I'd like to say, there's nothing wrong with working digital. But we've been able to really kind of push the boundaries with some of the images we're creating digitally. And that, that's that's been really cool. And then plus also the deadlines were really kind of tight on this series. You know, sometimes we get the scripts late. And if we weren't working digital, I don't think that we would have been able to do a, as good a job as we were able to in the, in the time that we had. And working in digital, you talked about the deadlines because of, you know, late scripts and whatnot. I, you know, that always helps the process be streamlined and and things, especially for all the things that you just talked about doing as far as rendering and whatnot. Now, like say for instance, because you're doing the inking and you're also, you're doing that digitally and the effects that were done within the book were done digital. What's the big difference between working on a book like Brightest Day and then doing a 
working on covers for Irredeemable and for The Traveler for Boom? Um, well, the uh, the covers for Irredeemable and Traveler are also digital, so it's not really much of a difference in terms of the method. Basically, we figured out the method kind of prior to working on Brightest Day. I, my friend Scott um, lives out of town. He doesn't live in the same place where I live, so um, I went out of town. He lives out in, in uh, Vegas, so I went out to Vegas and basically stayed there with him for a week, and he has a nice little office studio set up, and we sat in there and basically figured out how we were going to put the look together for for Brightest Day to try and do something kind of unique and new. That look and, and our working methods that we've figured out have just basically carried over into what we're doing on Brightest Day. But then also, too, we've been able to take those same methods and then apply them to the covers. So I think it kind of gives the covers kind of a unique look. Scott really likes kind of the concept art kind of look. So a lot of the colors and stuff and the effects reflect that. I mean, I'm kind of more of a traditional guy, which is why the inks kind of look probably more traditional. I think that more reflects my sensibilities in terms of collaboration. The methods are really pretty much all the same. Um, there's not really much of a difference. I do have some other stuff that I'm doing for DC that I do have traditional boards that I'm inking on, mm -hmm. but we're doing something completely different than we did on Brightest Day and, and the cover work. It's a completely different look, um, but again, unfortunately, I'm not allowed to speak about it just yet. <laughs> something that stands out with Traveler is the suit, you know, of the hero, the the way the colors come out. And it, it just stands out every time the character's on the page. I mean, it was just something that, you know, I really, really enjoyed, you know, the art on that. Well, I did the colors and the covers. I didn't actually work on the interiors. So are you referring to the interiors or are you referring to the covers? Well, both, actually, because oh, okay. I, I bought it because I saw the covers first. You know, that made me want to order it. And then from there, just the design of the character I like. And you saw, I like, we, the cover was shined a lot throughout, you know, the internet. Yeah, I thought the costume was cool, too. I'm, I think maybe Chad Harden or somebody who, I, I think, actually, the pencil on Traveler designed the costume. Mm -hmm. uh, some of what we've been doing with the colors, which is something we kind of started doing a little bit on the Traveler covers and we're doing with some of the other stuff, is we've kind of built kind of some CGI stand-ins for some of the characters we use a lot, like the Traveler. Oh. So we'll do some things where we'll go in and we'll do, like, a real quick rough test render of, of how the lighting and everything should work and then we'll use that to kind of guide how we're doing the color work we're really trying to take advantage of the digital toolbox and and try and create something new and you know really try and push the boundaries and it really honestly it it reflects on some of my earliest comics work which was a series called star gods that i did in the 90s again scott and i were on that and in star gods we were trying to take traditionally painted type looking figures and then combine those with CGI environments and props. So a lot of the work that we're doing now with Traveler and, and Irredeemable and Brightest Day is basically just another further extension of us trying to refine that look and, and find that balance to where we're able to use the tools, but hopefully not have them stick out like a sore thumb. You know, like sometimes with CG stuff, especially with comics, it looks CG, you know. So right. we're trying to do something where we're able to take advantage of those tools, but diminish the look of the CG so that you're just enjoying the cover image or you're just enjoying the story, you know. 
And what it enables us to do too is create really, really ridiculously detailed backgrounds. Like for example, in Martin Stein's office in Brightest Day, it's like a brief scene when they walk inside his office. But if you could actually see the diplomas on his wall, those diplomas are fully filled out. Like I literally went in and created Martin Stein's PhD in physics from Stanford. You know, it's it's all there. We did that on a lot of stuff. There's all kinds of crazy stuff like in the atomic vault that he's in in the first couple of issues before he explodes the first time. And so it's it's really cool because you can just really go completely nuts and really kind of do some neat things with camera angles and whatever and get some really cool kind of lighting cues and effect cues that you can turn around and use when you're doing the ink work and you're doing the color work. Yeah, I, I love that the, your question. <laughs> yeah, because I, I love Ray Palmer when he was, you know, they were doing the tests and he was. Oh, yeah. And, and just seeing him in contrast to because the suits are so different, the colors, just seeing yeah. the, the different way that they both looked, you know, like Firestorm, the Matrix and 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 Ray. So, I mean, the, the art wise, you know, that was something that every time you look at a Brightest Day book, it stands out. You know, even with all those different people working on the on the uh, the run, it's just amazing that y'all can you know put together such a good book. Oh well, thanks. We're, I know that I had dinner in San Diego with uh, uh, Ivan and uh, Ivan Reese or Heiss. I'm not sure how you pronounce it. I didn't really use his first and last name when I was talking to him. <laughs> yeah. right. Like I got corrected with Mike Mignola when I met Mike Mignola in '93 because I, I walked up and I was like. It's like, oh, Mike Mignola, man, I love your work. And he's like, it's Mignola. And I was like, oh, sorry. So Ivan didn't get the chance to correct me. I know that everyone on the book was really trying to make Brightest Day something special because, you know, being the follow-up to Blackest Night, it's kind of a lot of pressure to really be able to follow that up. You know, Brightest Day has been a challenge in all kinds of ways. Uh, you know, with it coming out twice a month, the deadlines are tight. Editorial's really wanting something special. And it's been a real challenge for everyone. But I know everyone is trying to do their, their best work that they possibly can. I think the biggest complaint Scott and I had would just be more time, you know, to finesse the images or more time to create a more, you know, mind-bending moment. There's some stuff coming up in 22 that there's some really strong pages in 22. So, yeah, and I know that Scott and I, we were trying to do what we could, too, to try and stand out because we're, you're amongst so many fantastic art teams. You want to contribute and you want to be a part, but at the same point, you want to stand out enough to make sure that you can get another gig. You don't want to get lost. You don't want to become part of the noise. So we were we were really pushing it. I think the only thing that we had to abandon that we wanted to do because of the time just wasn't there is originally, if you look at the, the Brightest Day Zero, and, and we did the part of um, uh, Deathstorm. And it's kind of cool to have worked on the page where he gets his name. You know, it's kind of fun. But Deathstorm's got uh, the Adam Ray Palmer in his hand. And he's been turned into salt. What we had done, if you look at that image closely, is we had inked... Parts of his costume positive and then part of his costume negative, like the darkest areas of his costume were actually inked negative. And that was an effect we were going to try and carry throughout the series. And unfortunately, we had to lose some of that because of time. But it was, again, it was just to try to give Deathstorm something, just a little something more. Try and tweak the look just a little bit and maybe make him seem more unearthly and, and you know hopefully a little bit more terrifying you know because he's an evil dude made him seem when you put him on the page it looked like every time he was on the page he looked like he shouldn't be there like he looked like he wasn't from that world 
Right. And that was what we were trying to trying to go for because he's a completely different, you know, organism. I mean, he's a representation of death. He's he mm-hmm. should be the opposite of life, you know. And we really tried to push that and I give a lot of credit to Scott because Scott really is um, on the pages that we worked on. It is the way I kind of describe it is if you've ever watched the making of the the Blade Runner on the definitive director's cut or whatever, you've got Ridley Scott and it's his vision. And then he's got this uh, assistant guy called Ivor Ivor or whatever. You could almost call me Igor, I guess. I'm like the mad scientist assistant. But I felt like that what we were doing is I was trying to help Scott kind of complete his vision because he had some very specific things he wanted to try and do. He really was really pushing the boundaries. Man, that was a lot of, lot of long, long days and the nights without sleep, you know, <laughs> trying to create something memorable, hoping to create something memorable. So it's nice to hear that, that you, uh, you were digging what we were doing. to our main topic of this week's episode and that deals with the superpowers collection the superpowers collection for those that you know that are not kids of the 80s it was a toy line that was going to compete with the likes of the secret wars toy line which had marvel comics characters like cap and spidey and such and it was also in competition with he-man and the masters of the universe it's been said via the internets and various sites that uh, that I've that we've checked out for research that what happened was was that there was competition for the DC license so Kenner was able to hop in to get the rights from Mego because the, the rights with Mego had finally expired and they had moved over to Kenner because Kenner acquired the right. So now this is Kenner's shot. I mean, not only does Kenner have Star Wars, but now they can deal with superhero stuff as well. And this is where the superpowers collection comes in. Now, originally, um, I want to say this came, these, these figures came out in 1983. I remember specifically, before even purchasing an action figure, I saw on the back of a comic, and actually if you go to onceuponageek.com, back in like August of 2009, when the Superpowers Collection uh, celebrated its 25th anniversary, they have an advertisement that used to be on, on the back of a lot of DC comics, where it has a Superpowers Superman punching a uh, le- punching Lex Luthor. Now, the funny thing about it is, is that the way it looks, you have the action figure punching Lex Luthor, but it's not the Lex Luthor action figure the toy Superman is punching. It's actually a drawn version of Lex Luthor in the green and purple power suit. Mm-hmm. Which I had. <laughs> Wait a minute. You, you have that superpowers or do you, act, do you have that superpowers figure or do you actually have that suit? I had the figure. I have actually had, I actually had the Lex Luthor in the battle suit figure. See, I, I'm jealous. I'm jealous because I never had that one. I never ever had that one. And I always and I always thought that advertisement was weird because I figured, you know, wouldn't it make more sense for soups to be punching the toy? But but then if they did it like that, they couldn't really truly describe the quote unquote power action that right. that was the selling point for the you know these lines of action figures and would make them stand out from the Marvel Comics uh, Secret Wars action figures by Mattel. So Long story short, the first wave of action figures were Hawkman, Joker, Wonder Woman, Batman, Aquaman, Robin, Green Lantern, uh, Robot Brainiac, Flash, Lex Luthor, Superman, and the Penguin. 
So that's a pretty diverse, you know, it's a pretty, pretty decent collection of heroes and villains uh, for the first run back in like 83, 84. So it was pretty impressive. And I just remember the power action thing being a high selling point for me to uh, get these figures because like i said before you couldn't do this with the marvel uh, secret wars action figures like say for instance if you squeeze superman's legs he would punch um if you squeeze flash's arms his legs would start moving real fast and he would he, he would run the joker he had a big mallet yes <laughs> which i thought was great he had a big mallet and if you squeezed his legs he would start to uh, just like you know wail the mallet Mm-hmm. And the thing is, not only that, but like if you notice, like with the Joker action figure, they did a great job with the mo- with the mold of his face. Yeah, they did. It was scary. Yeah, because he's got that Joker that that crazy Joker laugh face in full effect, and I thought that was a great sell. And that was for me more than the power action. I remember being a kid, and I sent you a link with that that very first commercial. I remember seeing that commercial on TV when I was a kid. Coming from the farthest reaches of the universe to challenge the worst villains on Earth are the most powerful heroes ever in the Battle of the Superpowers Collection. What's this? The dam's about to blow and take Robin with it? Who'll stop the Joker and Luther? Aquaman! Kenner's new Superpowers Collection figures with power action, each sold separately with its own mini-comic. Aquaman's down! Who can help now? A power ring, a power action punch. Defuse the bomb! Can this madness be stopped in time? You decide. Uh, the thing that struck me from that very first commercial was, wow, they actually look like they're from the comic books. And that was the thing I thought that actually made the Superpowers collection unique, too. And I think you can even see it in that ad, is that they weren't distancing themselves from the comic books. They weren't selling an action figure line and throwing the comic book aspect away. you got many comics with the action figures. You've got the, the it's almost like that Superman figure is real and you can hold him in your hand. And he's battling the comic book Lex Luthor that you've been reading about. And I, I love that aspect of how the comic book aspects and the action figure aspect, how it was it was true. You know what I mean? Like, and it didn't really throw away that that idea, you know, that it comes from comic books. And and I just remember it was like, wow, that Batman looks like Batman. and That Robin looks like Robin because I had the Mego figures when I was a kid and they were cool. But. You know, they didn't look like from the comic books, you know, but these actually looked like from the comic books. And that's what I thought was really, really cool. Yeah. Aquaman kicked like I I, I think I fell in love with Aquaman even more <laughs> when I had the toy because you squeeze his arms and he started kicking. Yes. Oh, my God. I loved it. The, the Brainiac action figure for that line was my favorite for the simple fact that on the artwork for the carded for the card for the figure, he's kicking. And it looks like those like old those old school cartoons or old school movies where the bad guy would kick a puppy. Yes. And I, and I always I always used to call it the puppy kicking action uh, for that action figure. But I liked that design. I mean, because let's be real, that Brainiac. I know a lot of people don't like Robot Brainiac, but the reason why I like it is because first off, it's crazy. It's it's perfect for a comic book and. And in the 80s, for that to be articulated and made into an action figure and actually look like it came out of the comic book, they did a great job with that. Well, Brainiac would um, traumatize me. I was like, wow, because I'm used to reading the comics with, the, you know, with the green and the little heart, the, the little hairnet on the ball green guy. And I looked at the book. I looked at the comic and I'm looking. I'm like, who is this? And then they had a little excerpt that that was Brainiac. I was like, that is 
gangster to have him actually get rid of his human body and just put his brain into a, a cyborg. I thought he, I wanted him so bad. I couldn't find him. That one was difficult for me to find too. I mean, like the only time I would ever be able to have a Brainiac was actually when I traded some Star Wars figures for a Brainiac figure. And they were like low key action figures, like Nine Numb. And uh, it was like Nine Numb and uh, Bib Fortuna. Nine Numb and Bib, and Bib Fortuna. Oh, so you were the one that bought that? Shut up. <laughs> that was you. That was that, that was me. I not and, and hush. But, <laughs> but I traded those two and I got Brainiac, so that was a win for me. So I was quite happy about that. You always making jokes. But <laughs> saying, you know, you give a kid like, oh, I want to play with some good toys, and you turn around and you go, what is this? Exactly. Why doesn't mommy and daddy love me? <laughs> But um, with these action figures, I think something else that was was great. The fact that not every action figure came with a weapon, but some of them actually had weapons as opposed to the Secret Wars line, mm-hmm. which didn't have weapons. They had those shields, which you could put like the little images in. And like if you moved it to the left or right, it would change the image. But to me, that was corny. You know, well, Hal had the um, Hal was one that didn't have a weapon. Hal had a freaking um, the lantern, which I stared at for hours. Mm-hmm. But it that, was the oh, sorry, go ahead. And, and I just loved the way that you know I would put the you know you could put it in his hand and I would put it up and and recite the the uh, ver- damn I was a nerd. You, <laughs> I would recite the, the little thing because that's what I had. I had. Um, Lex Luthor and I had um, Hal Jordan Green Lantern at the same time. Those were the figures that were up there mm-hmm. at, at Toys R Us. And in regards to the Secret Wars, I, you know, I I remember as a kid I kind of liked the Secret Wars, but I never really got really big into collecting them because, you know, they they really didn't across the board. And I mean, I'm being honest, but across the board, they didn't seem as authentic as the superpowers figures. You know. Mm-hmm. They didn't, you know, it was like Captain America looked kind of like Captain America, but he didn't have his shield. It's like, right. who's what's Captain America without his shield? Something else I never liked, too, is like I and again, it, it was a big thing for me. I liked the fact that the superpowers figures came with the comic books, you know, and it and it felt like it was all coming from the comic books. And mm-hmm. and the Secret Wars felt like it was a little a little distanced from that. You know, they had like a little. A little three-panel comic strip thing that sometimes they'd have like on the back of the packaging, but it just wasn't the same thing as having like a little comic book that went along with it. And and talk about how awesome that Green Lantern figure was! Oh my God, that was literally you know I am the, the a huge huge Batman fan, but Green Lantern was the first one that I bought because I loved Green Lantern in the Challenge of the Super Friends cartoon show. And when I realized I could have like an actual Green Lantern, and when I saw that he came with the actual lantern power battery or whatever i was like oh my that is so awesome you know and he was the first one that i bought i remembered i I saved up i was getting like a small allowance and i saved up and saved up and saved up and that was the first one i got was green lantern and it was my favorite figure until that thing fell apart yeah i found my green lantern um i was playing with some friends over at the park and i found it buried in some uh clay some like dirt and clay 
And I picked it up and I was like, what is this? And I started like rubbing the dirt off and it had clay around it. So I was like, oh, it's a green lantern. And I took it home, cleaned it off. So I didn't have the, I didn't have the actual lantern it came with. But besides that, that figure was like immaculate. I'm like, who would bury this? You took mine. That's mine. Give it back. Wait a minute. Now, you know good and well that one yours. <laughs> and, and, and talk about play, like, like really cool, like, you know, playing with those figures and creating great adventures. Um, something that was kind of bizarre that I did is I remember um, was in, I was in a grocery store with my mom when I was a kid. And you remember how they used to have those little hors d'oeuvre things and they looked like swords? Yes. And you'd get like, they had like little packs of them. They'd be all different colors. I'm not um, the only one. Yeah, I, I had I had actually had my mom buy me one of those. Yes. And the green sword was one of Green Lantern's constructs that he mm-hmm. would battle with and he would have these crazy swashbuckling battles, you know, and um I love that thing. That was so cool. <laughs> I used you took me back. Wow. You took me back cuz I did that. I begged my mom to buy me the um I knew she thought I was a damn fool, but I begged her to buy me those little swords and I would put them in the hands of the other figures. Like eventually, I had a couple of other ones. Like, because Luther didn't have a a weapon. No, he just had the armor, and his arms would pop up like he was shooting, and he had like a karate hand chop. And I would, you know, try to put weapons and stuff in it, you know, to try to make him a little bit more tougher. But damn, I forgot about that. Yeah, and and you could totally buy that Luthor had the technology to create an energy sword, you know, because mm-hmm. I had the Lex Luthor figure too. And I liked how you could take like the chest plate of the battle suit off. So whenever they would finally defeat him to send him to prison, they would always remove his battle suit. So whenever someone would bust him out, they would always show up with his battle suit, you know, and he'd put that yeah. back on. He'd power yeah. up because uh, Lex Luthor was my was my big baddie when I was a kid when I used to play. Uh, oh, yeah. He was, he was the one that everybody had to contend with, you know. I love the gauntlets, too. The, the purple gauntlets on yeah. the armor. Yeah. I love that. I remember with the Hawkman action figure, the one thing I liked about that, not only did he have the big wings, which is really cool, but he had that big old mace. Wow, my mother didn't love me enough to buy me that. Well, I didn't I didn't have it either. I, <laughs> my friends had it. My, I had friends who had who had Hawkman, so you know, wow. I would just play with theirs. Yeah, I had and it was it was one of those things my mom knew how much I loved comic books, so I didn't have like all the He-Mans or I didn't have all of the Transformers. But what I had as a kid is I had all the superpower stuff for the most part. But I had Brainiac and I had Hawkman. I had Green Lantern. Um, I had Lex Luthor and, and Batman and Robin. And I pretty much had all of them. And I had even some of the vehicles. I had Lex Luthor's Lexor 7, his, his ship. Mm-hmm. You know? and, and I, uh, but my favorite was the Batmobile of the vehicles. I freaking love that Batmobile. That was awesome. And, I, and once I, and once again, that Batmobile. I think the, the main reason why every well, so many people like I know like a lot of my friends had the Batmobile, and the reason why they loved it is because at the time it reflected what the car, the cartoon Batmobile looked like, and it also reflected what the Batmobile looked like in the comic books. I never got it because it, the store would never have. You know, it wasn't. You know, you, you your mother would tell you. You know, you get once a month, you get a toy. You know, you do what you're supposed to do. Once a month, you get a toy, and we would go to Toys R Us. They wouldn't have it. They would be out of stock on on a lot of that stuff. Yeah, the uh, the one thing I never had was I never had the Hall of Justice playset. I didn't have that, and I think one of the, still to this day one of the most 
unfortunate memories I have of, of my brother. And I love my brother to death. And when he hears this, don't take this the wrong way, Ronnie. But <laughs> I used to let him play with my, my superpowers action figures. And I used to, st- I still had them in the case. Mm-hmm. And I would let him play with them, but I would only let him play with them if it was supervised. You know what I mean? And I'd open of the course. case up and the cape, case was all pristine and everything. And everything was all real nice. And I was at school one day. My mom wasn't paying attention. And he got into my room and he got the case out with the figures in it. Prior to this, I have another quick heart-wrenching story. Prior to this, I remember we were riding in the car coming back from somewhere and, and he was little, and I shouldn't have let him play with these. He was too little, you know. But he had Robin, and I had the Joker, and they were battling. And I had the Joker kick Robin, and he flung Robin out the window of the car oh, no. as it was moving. No, he should never have known. got Robin back. Robin died that day. He should have known. And I know, I know. I should have known better. So I was already down a Robin when this happened, right? Oh. I was really specific about really being okay, you only do this and you do that. Don't be so rough with them because I wanted to keep them. And so he got into my room one day when I was at school. And my brother and I was about 13 years age difference. And I come back and I I come into my room and he's sitting in there and he's playing with them. And at first it was kind of cute, you know, until I noticed that some of them were in pieces. And for some bizarre reason, it still doesn't make any sense to me. He had actually ripped part of the case that had like the, because they had little comic strips printed on the inside that had the origins of all the heroes, right? For some reason, he had ripped that off, ripped it off, and then ripped the other side down. So my case on one side is pristine and the other side is destroyed. Oh, and, you know, my Green Lantern has a broken leg. My, uh, my oh. plastic man was, he literally yanked the head out of the body. So I have him held together with tape and, the, the only one that survived that day was Firestorm, and he's out in the studio, hmm. right, watching behind me. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's that's depressing. Uh, <laughs> that is depressing. Sad now. That is sad, but the, the figures I had, and I had a good amount of figures from Series 2. As a matter of fact, I think one thing that we need to mention is, is that for the actual cards, the, you know, the cards, the backing that the figures were a part of when you went to the store and you bought them, there were a few people that had their hand in those designs. Like Jack Kirby, um, it's been said, now that granted this is Wikipedia, so once again, as always, like I say, disclaimer, you, you take their value and for what they say for what it's worth. But um, according to Wikipedia, they say that comic creator Jack Kirby received some of the only royalties of his long career for redesigning his characters for Kenner. And that uh, specifically goes towards the new god, the characters from the new gods, if I'm not mistaken. But it says also artist George Perez also received royalties for his design of Cyborg and redesign of Lex Luthor. So he was responsible for the power suit Lex Luthor. And then it says most all other designs and much of the packaging artwork were based on Jose Luis Garcia Lopez classic DC style guidelines and and, um, other artwork used appears to be the work of Dick Giordano. If you go back and look at some of those original Superpowers card backs for the action figures, Mm -hmm. you could tell which ones are Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. Like Superman, uh, the Superman was definitely, it's definitely a Luis Garcia Lopez artwork on that one. Man, I think like the Wonder Woman, you could tell that's like Dick Giordano. I can never say Gio, Giordano. I can never say that word. Damn it. Didn't he do Batman too? I, I think he. Um, I was just going to say, I used to be able to say Dick Giordano until you 
flubbed it there a couple of times. <laughs> and I was sitting there going, how do you say that? Dick to your dick. Yeah, Dick Giordano. Yeah. I was just sitting here looking because I actually have all of mine hit sitting here because I cut them off of the uh, the packaging. So mm-hmm. I'm sitting here looking at them. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, and, yeah. And when you look at them, seriously, in all seriousness, when you look at them, you can, you can pretty much tell who did the design as far as for the character for, for that uh, card backing. And to me, that once again was a big selling point because not only am I getting this, you know, cool, co- you know, this, this cool action figure plus a mini comic, I'm getting this really nice artwork on the card and to me that was for the time that would that was as big of a deal as purchasing a star wars action figure and you and you getting the picture from a still from the movie for your card backing that was a very big deal for me yeah and it's cool too because on the back you had the information like their powers and their weaknesses and their enemies and their secret identities and it was almost like you know it's like a who's who kind of like the gi joe where they had the identic cards that came on the back because when I had my GI Joes, I used to cut all those out and keep those as well. It was just, it was just so cool, you know. And looking at these, I think there's only, there's only two of these that I seriously cannot figure out who drew them, and it looks like it was the same person. And it's, it's Martian Manhunter and Firestorm. I don't really recognize the style in those. Yeah. The rest of them, you can, you can pretty much pick out. You know, like the Flash and the Aquaman and the Hawkman. They all have those classic Garcia Lopez, you know, kind of traits to them and how the musculature stuff is portrayed and the Doctor Fate. And the Martian Manhunter and the Firestorm are a mystery to me. Because every time I look at the Firestorm card, it's the one that doesn't, doesn't fit with the others. Right. I don't know who did that. I've studied it a number of times as well and still can't pick it out for the life of me. As far as the collection goes, it went through three series, as I said before, and the further the series, the more difficult it was to, to find these figures. But with series two, we started to receive a lot of Kirby characters like Darkseid, Desaad, Calabac. Which I wanted so bad. Oh, yeah, so did I. Uh, Mantis and the Parademon and Steppenwolf. Now, the funny thing is, is that for the superpowers line for series two, Darkseid, Desaad, Dr. Fate, Firestorm, Green Arrow... Calabac, Martian Manhunter, and Red Tornado were the basic design. You know, they came from the comic book. They were literally just taken straight from the comic book. They designed them like they were part of the comic book, and there you go. However, Mantis, Parademon, and Steppenwolf were all redesigned. And those were, and if I'm not mistaken, those were Kirby redesigns for those. And the funny thing about it is, is that if it wasn't for the Red Tornado action figure, which is which is one of my favorite, and I regret the fact that I no longer have mine because I thought that Tornado Twist was the coolest action ever. You squeeze his arms and his legs would start spinning. I always thought that design and that mold for that character was just fantastic. I mean, they had like they had like all they had the yellow lines going up and down everywhere. They had the yellow tee in the center of his chest. They had the cool cape, and I mean, it just looked dead on like Red Tornado. And the thing is, before getting that action figure, I didn't know who Red Tornado was. I didn't give a damn about Red Tornado. After getting that action figure, I remember a while later, I I got Crisis on Infinite Earths, and I saw Red Tornado. And then they had that Justice League of America Crisis crossover issue about Red Tornado when he basically became an element and went away. And I was so mad because I finally, I get this action figure, and now he's, he's out of the comics. And so it really had like a really big impact on me. Yeah, I was going to say, because I, I felt like that way with uh, with Steppenwolf. 
I didn't really know who Steppenwolf was. And I remember I got the figure because it was, again, it was part of the line. Yeah, he had that really cool battle axe. And boy, he was bad as hell. When my figures would battle, man, when Steppenwolf showed up, people would, would, would be worried because he, he, was, he was a bad dude. <laughs> he was, yeah, Steppenwolf was one of those characters that, you know, up until then, I, I really was, I mean, I was kind of familiar with some of the New God stuff, again, from what was it, the Galactic Guardians or whatever they called the Super Friends show as it continued to evolve and change. Mm-hmm. But um, that was a character I knew absolutely nothing about. And it's because of the action figure line that I learned about a lot of these characters and how they related and, and their world. And honestly, even still to this day, I mean, I know that the, the classic design for that character is what Steppenwolf is supposed to look like. But the superpowers one, to me, it's, that's still kind of my Steppenwolf. And talking about characters that you, or figures that you wanted that you never got, the one figure I never got is Captain Marvel. He was one of my favorites from the Filmation cartoon show. I loved that cartoon when I was a kid. I actually have an actual Filmation animation cell of Captain Marvel flying that that actually is above my desk here. And um, I'm a huge Captain Marvel fan, have been since I was a kid. And that was the one that I looked for high and low every place I went. And I used to ask for it every year for Christmas. And that is the one that I never, ever even saw was Captain Marvel. Me either. I never saw them. I don't think none of my friends had it in school either. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't I remember see. anyone having it. That's all part of Series 3. In Series 3, those those figures are really hard to find, especially uh, you know figures like Plastic Man. Now, I know, Dave, you said you had a Plastic Man, but if you look through Series 3, you had Cyborg, Cyclotron. Never saw them. Golden Pharaoh, Mr. Freeze, Mr. Miracle, Orion, Plastic Man, Samurai, uh, Captain Marvel, a.k.a. Shazam, and Tyr. Now, the funny thing is about this, for this Series 3, Cyclotron, Golden Pharaoh, those were originally created specifically for the Superpowers collection. They, didn't, they were not characters from the comic books. They were made specifically for Superpowers, the mm-hmm. Superpowers collection. And, and notice how the line stops with the third iteration. Yeah. It, I think it's because... Someone had the brilliant idea to deviate from the established taking the characters from the comic books and adapting them. That's when it begins to stray. And I don't remember as a kid making a conscious decision about that, but I just know that, you know, like the, the, uh, like the golden Pharaoh character, he was kind of cool, whatever, but it just didn't have, you know, I mean, those were the guys that got knocked out at the beginning of the fight. You know, <laughs> those are the guys who went in first to scout out that Steppenwolf would, you know, basically beat the holy tar out of, you know what I mean? And capture all of them. You know, they were the damsels in distress because I didn't know who those guys were. Right. Uh, I can't remember. What was the name of that robot guy? Not Cyborg. Are you talking about a, a Cyclotron? Yeah, a Cyclotron. Yeah, because that guy, he, he never lasted very long in, in, in the play adventures. I don't even know what he is. Um, Cyclotron was like this robot type deal, and he, he was an obscure character, and he's like yeah. green and yellow or something like that. And, and he had like a, a robot face or whatever it would reveal. Yeah. Um, I think he was like one of those figures where it's like someone came up with like a cool power action that they hadn't done yet. Because uh, I think Orion had a similar thing where his face would change. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, the the characters that didn't come from the comics, I just wasn't very big on them, you know. Right. And the thing and, of, uh, Oh, sorry, go ahead, Dave. Go ahead. Oh, no, that's it. I was just going to say it. Just that's where it started because also with the third wave, I don't remember there being many comics with those. I don't have many comics for any of them. There were no and, there were no many comics for the third wave at all. 
and my and some of the cards, like specifically the Plastic Man, for example, I'm looking at it right now. There's no cool drawing of Plastic Man on the other side. You know, hmm. it's just the whatever the front side of it was. You know, like the yellow and the blue or whatever or the packaging. But there's no really cool drawing of Plastic Man on it. Yeah. The info is like on the GI Joe all too. over again. Yeah. When they just, get to that certain wave, they just they stop trying. And it, they start out cool, and then they get to a certain point where they just say, whatever, and they just throw something up there. I think the bizarre thing about it is is that I think they were really trying to do something with the third wave, but I think there was some conflict somewhere because there are some, cute, some cool figures in that line, like Cyborg, Mr. Miracle, Plastic Man, Samurai. Now, granted, Samurai is from Super Friends. Mm-hmm. You know, so at least there, there's some familiarity because he came from the cart. He came from a cartoon, not the comic book. You know, it would have been cool to have gotten like Vulcan. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, if you're going to do the superpowers, you know, uh, where, where's Apache Chief? I would have loved to have had an Apache Chief character as a kid. That yeah. would have been awesome. Um, oh, he, he would have been a bad dude to contend with when he grew really big and stomping around. You know, I don't know how it would have simulated that, but. Oh. <laughs> I always found it odd. I just remember as a kid when I saw Orion and I saw the redesign and I remember I didn't know much about the new gods, but when I saw the Orion character for the superpower series, I stopped and I said, that looks nothing like the Orion from the comic books. It was completely different. So I had no idea who this dude was. Yeah. And I think that's kind of, again, it it gets back to that. Even with Orion, you can see where they're losing that familiarity. And Orion was designed that way because of how his power worked. So his face would change or whatever. Mm-hmm. And and when I had him as a kid, he was always impossible to knock out because he had all this crap all around his face. It was impossible to knock him out. <laughs> yeah, it, it just where it started to deviate. And it, it kills me because when you look at the ones that were in production that weren't actually produced, like Man Bat and Blue Devil and stuff, mm-hmm. man, I would have lost my mind as a kid if I could have had a Blue Devil. Yeah. How awesome would that have been? And Man Bat, shoot. Speaking of um, unused figures, Kenner was working on a, um, and this, the, now this comes from the Comics Alliance website, uh, Kenner was working on a line of anti-heroes to be part of the superpowers line. And the anti-heroes line, they would have three different versions of a character. Like, say, for instance, there would be a high-tech style um, you know, anti-hero, a road warrior style anti-hero, and a robotic style anti-hero. So there was this high-tech anti-hero Batman, a road warrior anti-hero Batman, and a robotic anti-hero Batman. They did this for Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, a Cyborg, and Firestorm. Now, what's funny is, is that, like I said, that for each one, there's high-tech, road warrior, robotic style. So... Now, and the designs are really, really cool, especially for Firestorm. It, the Firestorm the Firestorm is fantastic, and I'll make sure I'll put uh, the link in the show notes so everybody can see them. But the one I found the most, the one I found hilarious was Cyborg, because you have high-tech Cyborg, Road Warrior Cyborg, and Robot Cyborg. Robot yeah, Cyborg. It doesn't, it doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? He's <laughs> no. already a high-tech robot, right? <laughs> right, right, right. But it, you know, but these designs, the designs are fantastic. I mean, because like it's, it's Cyborg, Robin, Wonder Woman, Firestorm, Batman, and Superman. And these, they look great. And I would have loved this to have seen this as part of the line if the line would have continued on. 
and, and by then I can understand if you're doing something different or outside of the box because you've already introduced us to a stable of consistent characters. Seeing Blue Devil would be great. Uh, seeing oh, yeah. seeing Man Bat would have would have been awesome. It just it just would have been fantastic, but unfortunately, it just you know it didn't happen. It's still for the thirty plus figures that they made. I was really I was always impressed by the overall quality. Period. The fact that you could bend you could bend the character's legs at you know at the knee like GI Joe action figures was great. So as opposed to Secret Wars action figures, nothing right. bent. The Secret Wars figures I had, I really liked the black suit Spider Man because that was just cool, you know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. And I remember I had my Wolverine and I hated the stupid claws that came up. So I used to modify these figures. So what I did is I took, you know, like push pins like you'd use for like hemming something, like for sewing. Mm-hmm. Um, I basically took um, six of my mom's and I broke the little colored end off of it. And I actually shoved them through his hands and actually bent them. Well, so they actually genius. looked like claws because I hated the fact that he just didn't have decent looking claws. <laughs> I wish I knew you as a kid. I would have did that. I never thought to do that. Oh yeah. And uh, but unfortunately Doctor Doom got the worst of it um, whenever he battled Wolverine. He had a lot of scratches on him. So that was not cool. But what you supposed to. But right. uh, but I just, you know, I just remember as a kid it was like just the the Marvel stuff just wasn't it, it's like why isn't it as a cool, you know? But it just but it just isn't. You know, it just wasn't as is awesome. They weren't as posable, and and I, you know, I hate. I and I till still to this day, the thing I cannot get over is Captain America didn't have a real shield. And I remember, I actually drew Captain America's shield and stuck it in that stupid hologram, changey lenticular thing. Yes, because he had to have his shield. You know, you can't have Captain America without the shield. No, and it even that weird. didn't work. Yeah. So. talked about every single series of actual superpowers action figures that have come out there was also the mellow exclusive clark kent which i thought was really cool and i actually tried to uh get that i cut out all the little proofs and i sent it in and it was uh they had already run out of them so mm-hmm. i never got one of, i never got the clark kent superman either did you ever get the clark kent uh daryl no nah, i never you know i don't know what it was with in New York, you would think in New York they would have most of the stuff, but when it got past the second line, we didn't get a lot of stuff. I used to live in, live in Ohio as a kid and wasn't too far from Cincinnati, and that's where Kenner was located. A lot of times, we were able to get a lot of that stuff because, you know, the stores were close, you know, and, and with the distribution and the shipping or whatever between from Kenner to all of its, all of its retail stores they used to deal with, you would think also you'd be able to get stuff because every now and then they would test market stuff in Cincinnati before it went nationwide. Mm-hmm. There were some figures I would never see, although I remember I got a green arrow. Mm. And I thought, and, it, and to me... Because I never had Cyborg, because if I had Cyborg, that would probably be my favorite action figure of all time. But the fact that I was able to get Green Arrow, I thought that was the coolest figure of the bunch because it came with a bow, it came with a couple of arrows, with a backpack, and his power action was like the uh, archery pull. That figure made me like Green Arrow. I would have loved to have that. That figure to me was great because, once again, it looked like the character in the comic book. Mm-hmm. And you couldn't beat that. 
and it was another one of those like that those characters I was kind of a little familiar with from the comic books, but I didn't have like a big affinity for. Um, but after you played with Green Arrow and you realized, you know, how cool he was and how much potential he had with all his different trick arrows and all the things he could do. And I think I'll, 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 there's a there's a lot to be said for that, because there's characters like, for example, like Dr. Fate that I love still to this day. And had it not been for that Dr. Fate action figure just being so awesome with the helmet and him being kind of like Dr. Strange with the sorcery powers and everything, was the, it was those figures that really, you know, kind of introduced me to a lot of characters, but then also just helped to show me how cool they were. And again, it goes back to those mini comics because the mini comics was what filled in the gaps. Oh, okay, well, this is how their powers work and this is what they can do. And um, yeah, it was really cool. And that Green Arrow figure was really, really awesome. I can't say en- enough positive things about it, and I wish I still had it. The only superpowers action figure I actually have left is, is Firestorm. That's it. That's the only one I have left. And I, <laughs> I lost them all. I, I don't know where I, what I did with them. Uh, it just uh, it hurts me that I don't that I still don't have them. But but as far as the vehicles go, the vehicles you have the Batcopter, the Batmobile. Once again, the Batmobile. Just awesome. It's one of those things, if you can find it on eBay, and if it's in good shape, I recommend you get it if you're a big fan because that design was great. You had the Dark Side Destroyer, which was one of my least favorite vehicles. I just didn't really like the design on it. You had the Delta Probe 1, which was featured in a lot of the mini-comics. The Justice Jogger, which I thought was the worst concept. (laughs) (laughs) Absolute worst concept for a uh, vehicle. It's sure. it's, it's it justice jogger. It made no sense because I remember the box and it has Superman in this like it looked like he was like on stilts. It's like somebody said, "Hey, let's 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 take stilts and put like robot and tech gear around them and make them real tall." We'll call it the Justice Jogger, and it just it it just it, it was horrible. Um, but there were cool things like the Calabac Boulder Bomber, that was cool. You know, it looked like a big Kirby vehicle. And you had the Lexor 7, like Dave mentioned, and you had the Supermobile. Now, I remember my mom got me the Supermobile for Christmas. And I took it over to my dad's house, and I had Superman in the, in, in the Supermobile. And my father said, why in the hell does Superman need a spaceship? I was like, well. They don't understand. And I know. I don't, but, see my, but my dad read comics, though. He's the one. Like, my parents got me into comics. And even he, but he just kept saying, this doesn't make any damn sense. He flies everywhere. He can fly to the outer reaches of space. And you mean to tell me that he needs a spaceship to go down the street to McDonald's? Those were his exact words. Because he needed to go when they needed, he needed to go to places where it had kryptonite. He couldn't fly. There you go. So. He needed the ship to get through that. There you go. And see, and I tried to tell him that, but he did not. He did not listen to me. But I remember now. I remember this. The coolest thing about the Lexor Seven, it came with a big chunk of kryptonite. Oh man. Yeah, yeah. The the Lexor Seven was cool too because just the design of the vehicle was really cool, and I like those little weird grabber feet it had at the bottom. Yes. It had like the little capture thing where you could stick them in the wings and you stick their fist through there and they couldn't get out and. Uh, yeah, the, the Lexor 7 was really cool because uh, I think of, of the vehicles that I had, and I didn't have all of the vehicles, but I had the figures. Um, the uh, the Batmobile was, was definitely my favorite, and I think I liked the Lexor 7 as far as the enemy vehicles. Um, that that would be my, my second favorite because it was, it was just cool. It just looked cool. I mean, I remember even when I wasn't, when my, later on my brother ended up again inheriting that, 
And when he would play with it, we would just put different characters in it because it just looked like an awesome space vehicle, you know. And all different kinds of you know figures could fit in those little fist hole things and be captured and stuff. And it was just cool. The thing that bothered me most about the Dark Side Destroyer, even as a kid and even to this day, the the main the main uh, the center the focus of the ship actually doesn't look that bad. I mean, it's kind of you know the cockpit is similar in a way. It, it's kind of like a modified Lexor 7 slash Supermobile, but it's the extensions, which are like these like wing, these foldable wings that have like a couch on each side. And you could put like, you know, a bad guy on one couch or a bag or, or, or like a Barca lounger and you could put a bad guy on one side and a bad guy on the other. I'm like, this looks terrible. Yeah, no good. And, you know, I'm like, no, this will not this will not fly. But I do remember as far as other things that were un- that were not produced. There was a prototype for a dark side base, where it was yeah, seriously, seriously, they they made a prototype, and it was going to be the equivalent to the bad guy Hall of Justice, you know what I mean? Yeah, it would have, and but because they didn't continue the line, the fig, you know, this set was never made, and it was really cool because it's like this big dark side head, and I remember like. There's like you see like Darkseid's hands together, you know, they're like, you know, together in the front and I think like the hands opened up and that would open up the uh that would open up the base so the bad guys could get in. But I used to have the Hall of Justice. Oh, I just I miss it because that was a hell of a playset. But you know, I remember being a, as a as a kid, I liked all the dark side stuff and whatever and it was in the cartoons, but even as a kid, I just I remember really thinking it's like, well, where's my where's my Legion of Doom headquarters? Where's my black mana? Where's my, you know, cheetah? Where's my, you know, like I, and cause that was where a lot of my familiarity came from. Um, cause I, I was introduced to comics to my grandfather. He used to read them to me. So I was kind of familiar with those older, like, you know, 1950s type stories and stuff. But a lot of the modern knowledge I had about the superheroes actually came from the challenge of the super friends show. Mm-hmm. And so I was always going, I was like, well, where's my captain cold? <laughs> you know, like, like that those were the ones that i always wanted and i i dug all the new god stuff but at the same point i kept wondering it's like well, where are these other you know really cool villains and we got a couple minutes left and i don't want to slight the comics because i said we were going to talk about the mini comics for a bit and we're going to try to give you give you, you listeners links to the mini comics we have four um, all together, uh, Firestorm, Doctor Fate, Batman, and Joker. Now, pretty much with the mini comics, and we can all pretty much we can all agree with this. There is a constant theme in these mini comics. Uh, the first theme: they make sure they advertise the figure that came with the package. Mm-hmm. Um, the second theme: every story is thirteen pages. Yeah. Uh, the third theme: they made sure that other uh, action figures. Uh, that were in said run at the time, whether it be Series 1 or Series 2, there may be a cameo by one or two of these additional action figures, whether they, whether they be good guys or bad guys. They also made sure to rep additional toys and vehicles. And every single page is a maximum of two panels. As yeah. some, sometimes you might get a... You, you, you might get a... Um, you, you know, you might just get like a full... A full splash page. You you might. I, I but from the one from the comics that I have, you don't have that. Your cover is pretty much your spl- your splash page, but um, and you also make sure you all, they also made sure that with every character, the front cut co- the front cover had the character's trademark logo. Mm-hmm. So you knew who this character was. 
So they found a way to, to properly advertise to properly advertise these characters and other characters within these comics. And the plots are pretty similar. If it's a, if it's a book about a hero, um, the hero is introduced to a villain they may have never faced before and eventually wins with the help of some friends. But the one main theme in a lot of the books that I've seen on the internet and the ones that we have is that somehow Superman always gets duped or hypnotized or uh, trapped for some, <laughs> for some reason, and it's up to everybody else to save him. That's a theme that they do still to this day. I remember um, hearing uh, Dwayne McDuffie talk about how he had to power down Superman so he wouldn't oh because basically he would be able to take out everybody you know when they were fight so he would have to power down Superman a little bit to kind of give everybody else a chance to to shine so it's amazing that it's still you know even back then to now it's still that problem when you have Superman on a team how do I show Superman be cool but not take out everybody and you know and then I got to show Batman being cool too so how do i do all of that in one story you're right there was a lot of depowered superman uh, a notch or two in these books but um heck i just had uh, another thought the other thing about these comics not only do they get you familiar with the trademark logo they also show you and tell you because the character will, will, will tell you in, in a in a chris in a chris claremont way what he what he's what he or she is doing at said time mm-hmm and at the back of the book, the last page, the back cover, they give you an image of the character, of the actual toy. They give you an image of the toy. So not only are you familiar with the character, what their powers are, what enemy they fought, the character's name, but you also know what that action figure looks like when you're done. If a friend of yours gave you a mini comic, that Firestorm mini comic, you read it, you saw the back of it, and you saw that action figure. If you went to the store, you saw that action figure, you knew exactly what you wanted. Mm-hmm. They knew how to brand this. They, they really did. Now, the, the other thing about these comics is that, and I, and I appreciate Dave for giving me links on this, and Dave, you can speak on this too, please, by all means. They really don't, you know, we really don't know who worked on these comics. Yeah, and that that's that's an interesting point too because there's there's no credits in these, and a matter of fact, the the only real acknowledgement of any kind I could find was on the uh, the Aquaman Shrine website, and basically the Shag, the guy who uh, was running who runs the website, uh, contacted uh, Paul Kupenberg, who used to do a lot of writing for the DC Special Projects division. And he actually wrote the regular Superpowers miniseries comics that DC published. And basically, he was trying to find out, because they were doing this 25th anniversary of the Superpowers as a whole and all these different blogs. You know, the blog focused on Batman, covered Batman, the one doing Aquaman, did Aquaman, whatever. And it's actually kind of cool. And um, I didn't know anything about it. Apparently, this happened like, you know, two years ago or something, and it completely missed my radar. But um, anyhow, he asked uh, Paul Kupenberg, you know, you know, did you write the Aquaman comic? Do you know who wrote it? Whatever. And he basically came back in to say that, you know, he only wrote one of the, the Kenner minis. He wrote the Steppenwolf one, which was number 13. And he said he had no real memory of doing it, really. He said the art looks like Jose Dalbo. And it's funny because looking at these mini comics, I actually, uh, well, 1993, I did a Joe Kubert seminar um, while I was in San Diego. And one of my instructors was Jose Dalbo. 
And it, it, there's a lot of these I look at them and I can see his work in them. So I think Jose Delbo worked on, on the art on a lot of these. The differences in style could be different inkers, you know, possibly he didn't pencil all of them, but I can definitely see his handiwork, especially like in the Batman one. That really looks like Jose Delbo. Yeah. And then people who are not familiar with Jose, uh, he did the NFL Super Pro for Marvel. I think that's the thing he's most known for. But he also did a, a good a good stint on Wonder Woman as well. But anyhow, he says the art looks like Jose Delbo, and then he's like, as far as who wrote it, he, he credits uh, a couple different people who were writing at the time, Jack Harris, Another person who he doesn't even give the first name to, and I guess when he was talking to Shag, you know, Shag knew he was talking about was somebody named uh, Rosakis. And, and that refers to a Bob Rosakis. Okay, thank you. I didn't know who that was. And um, and he says, you know, the project editor was probably Barry Marks, and it was all, I guess, supervised under Joe Orlando, who was running special projects at the time. Hmm. But with the exception of that, I don't have a clue. I couldn't find anything. Um, I have literally no idea other than I can see Jose Delbo's hand in a lot of these. But, you know, I don't think he did all of them. But then again, maybe he did. I don't know. Um, But, yeah, it's kind of weird that something that's so cherished, like the Superpowers collection is, to so many, you know, action figure and comic book fans that... Um, these mini comics that are such a part of the package. I mean, I really think they're they're integral, you know, because you know if you liked Batman and you got the Batman, you know, and you read the mini comic and oh the Joker and there's Robin, you know, well I need to get the Joker and I need to get Robin. It's kind of a no brainer if you grew up watching the '60s TV show, <laughs> you know, because you're also going to get the Penguin. You know what I mean? Right. But you read through the story and then hey, here's Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman shows up and helps Batman. That's cool. Maybe I'll get Wonder Woman, you know? Or the big one for me was actually the Joker mini comic. And you're reading that one and whatever and you got the Joker mobile, which I swear they should have made. Oh. And um yeah. <laughs> so you're reading through here and it shows you all the stuff the Batmobile could do and all the stuff the Joker mobile could do and whatever. And in order to escape Batman, he basically turns it into some kind of submarine mode and drives the Joker mobile into the water. And Batman's like, oh, he's gotten away. And then, you know, who stops the Joker? Well, it's Aquaman, you know? And it's, that was the thing that was so cool about it is how it showed you how these different heroes and, and even sometimes the villains could all work together to achieve their ends or whatever. And, mm-hmm. and it kind of emphasized that idea. It's like, oh, well, maybe I should get Aquaman too, you know? And then... You get the Aquaman mini comic and you read it. Hey, there's the Flash. <laughs> you know, it was cool. Well, there was always a focus on teamwork in these books, which was expected. They're focused toward kids. They and they want to like you know give those types of um, you know morals and stuff like that in these comics. But they were st- you know they were still action packed. Now. The one thing I'm trying to remember, because I've looked at a lot of these mini-comics, and the one thing I've noticed, nobody gets punched in the face. Nope. The closest came in Firestorm when Mantis, the energy-draining vampire, like... Alien. <laughs> the, yeah, the alien... Yeah, uh, alien vampire robot thingamabobber. Um, <laughs> he flies by uh, Green Arrow in the Delta Probe 1. Uh, toy plug and um, and like you see a you see a special effect word effect walk and then he hits the uh, then the mantis hits the delta delta probe one and you get another uh, sound effect brock but so he kind of hits 
you know, Firestorm, but you don't actually see him hit Firestorm. It's just that when he's flying, you see like the trail of flight, and then you see Mantis at the end of the panel with his fist up. But that's the that's the closest I have seen to an actual punch. But you still get. Oh, I take that back. There was one other punch. The Doctor Fate book. Superman backhands Doctor Fate. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. And that was. And- oh, go ahead. And I, I was going to say, too, because I don't think they really shot. I think they toned it down, but they didn't shy away from it. Because actually in the Batman mini comic, um, right after Wonder Woman comes in and intervenes and co- basically corrals the crazy people that have been um, kind of affected by the Joker's gas or whatever he's gassing the city with. Um, when after Robin and he swing onto the roof and the Joker's running at him with his big, giant, crazy mallet, Batman actually punches him and knocks him out. And that's actually how they, uh, they they basically stop the Joker and get the canister. Because mm-hmm. Batman punches the Joker in the face, and Robin actually catches the canister. You're right. Uh, I'm, I'm looking at I'm looking at it right now. It's just I just find it funny that, like with a lot of comics now, when somebody gets punched in the face or or kicked or whatever, you actually will see the contact, but you won't see you know you'll see the contact more than you'll see the effects of the blow itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think too that this is and and this is interesting too because I think this reflects in some ways the storytelling of the time because a lot of times you would want to show not just the uh, the beginning of the action but the result of the action in the same panel because they're trying to tell a big story so you know you can't really show someone punching someone and then reacting because that's two panels you know so you would try to find a way to devise the storytelling in the panels in such a way where you're going to get, as possible, an action and reaction in the same panel. And it also heightens the drama and actually intensifies the action moment, as well as kind of saving space in terms of uh, storytelling. And then, and then some people, you know, say, well, I can't do an action and reaction in the same panel. But I think that that really is a reflection of, of how storytelling was done in, in comics at the day, because they were very much on economy of space, and telling the biggest, largest story possible, sometimes to their detriment. I mean, because they would just try to do way too much. In 13 pages, you get approximately 26 panels. And for me, I feel that you get a lot of story in these mini comics. So I think you know a, a solid job was done in the creation of these mini comics. And I wish they would have done this with Series 3. But once again, you know, Kenner was probably Kenny, Kenner and DC were probably trying to work things out to where they wanted to do a little something different, shake it up a bit. And unfortunately, the line faded away. Yeah. And I remember a couple of years later, uh, Toy Biz had picked up some of the molds from the Kenner line. And you saw them like is when uh, Kenner, not Kenner, but when Toy Biz came out with the Batman action figures for the for the uh, Tim Burton Batman movie. Mm-hmm. They used the mold. They used some of the molds from the Kenner Superpower Superpowers collection to make the Black Batman action figure, and then they came back and then they started doing DC superheroes and they had Superman, Batman, Flash, and Robin, and they were literally straight takes off of the Kenner molds. Can't remember if Flash had his uh, running action, but they gave him like this board that he could stand on to make it look like he was running because that board was a cloud of smoke. I, I got to chime in on this because that Flash action figure is awful. Um, yes. Because at that point when Toy Biz was doing those, I saw those on the stands and I was like, oh, you know, I, I got the Batman figures for the movie. God, they were awful. 
because I was, you know, again, I'm a big Batman fan, so I wanted them for, because I have a shelf here, again, next to my desk. And there's, like, all these cool Batman figures and whatever, and he's one of the ones up there. In the midst of doing the 89 movie line, they wanted to expand it out because it was selling really well. So they initially started by actually interjecting those uh, specifically Batman characters or what it, what it started with. So you had Mr. Freeze and Robin and Penguin, and they were pretty much directly taken from those molds. And so I started buying those figures up because the Robin looked, you know, not quite, but pretty much the same as the Robin that my brother flung out the window of a moving car, you know, and um, the Penguin looked pretty much like the Penguin. I was like, oh, this is cool. And Mr. Freeze looks just like Mr. Freeze. And, and when I saw they were rolling those other heroes out, I was like, oh, this is really cool. Um, the Superman, it actually, it actually reflected, and the Lex Luthor figure that they did actually reflected the Ruby Spears um, animated series at the time. Hmm. So the Lex Luthor actually had like a purple jacket and he had like the ascot or whatever. And, you know, the, you know, just kind of more of the kind of like from the man of steel era, Lex Luthor, as opposed to the, you know, the, uh, the battle suit Lex Luthor. So he wasn't near as tough, but the Superman was it the Lex Luthor or the Superman. One of them came with literally a kryptonite ring. And Superman had a magnet inside him, and the ring had a magnet, and they were reverse. So when you would get the ring near Superman, he would basically tremble and then fall over, like from the effects of the kryptonite. That was kind of cool. The Flash was not cool. The Flash, for some bizarre reason, they put one of those mechanisms in them where, you know, you'd kind of twist it and wind it up and then let it go like a car, and the car would scoot across the floor. Oh. It had that kind of mechanism in it, and you would twist it to a point, and his legs, kind of motorized, would move back and forth. But the problem is, you couldn't really do much with the legs if you weren't using the motorized action. So it was pretty lame. That Flash figure was not cool. And they tried to tie that Flash figure actually into the Flash TV series um, later on. I think they did a reissue of it, and it had like the Flash logo from the TV series, the John Wesley ship. Series, yeah. Sorry, way too much information. <laughs> no, no, it's all right. Those are some. I remember things. the ones with the magnets. I, I had Batman and I had Robin, and something happened to the arm of Robin. No, those were just rough all around. Uh, yeah, they were. Right, Daryl, I, I need you to do me a favor. I need you to go to Hasbro, not the Hasbro because they're they because it used to be Kenner, but then Hasbro bought Kenner out. But but now that DC has their rights down and everything, and they go through Mattel to do everything now, I need you to drive to Mattel. Well, first off, I need you to go kidnap the Dio, and then after you kidnap the Dio and the other higher ups, I need you to take them to Mattel, and I want you to tell them to make that Joker mobile from this from these mini superpowers comics. Tell them that you need it immediately because this car is badass. Oh yeah, I can make that happen. Okay, well cool. That's all. That, that's all I need to hear. Okay, cool. This was DC's first true attempt at um, branding because I want you to think about it. When you go through the Superpowers collection, mm -hmm. they slowly started to change the cartoon. And especially toward the end when it was called Superpowers or Galactic Guardians, the Superpowers team, or the legendary Superpowers show, they really started focusing on that name Superpowers because yeah. they're trying to tie it in with the, to with the toys. Not only do you have the cartoon, 
now you have a cartoon and you have toys. Not only do you have the toys, you have the mini comics. And then it eventually it came around to DC Comics where they had the mini series, the, uh, the, the Superpowers mini series, and there were a couple of them. One I specifically had was by Jack Kirby, and this was toward the end of Jack, toward the end of Jack Kirby's um, run at DC. And the art may have not been the been the greatest, but I was just fascinated by it because before that I'd seen Kirby stuff and I'd read Kirby comics as a kid, but for some reason this one just like yanked me in. And a lot of it had to do with the fact that the front of that comic book had the Superpowers logo on it, and so it, there was this cyclical form of branding, and they hit all spots: comics, television, toys, mini comics, and other products like you know school supplies, T-shirts. Everything. And it was just the cyclical branding. And in the 80s, for a comic book company, that's pretty impressive. It's really interesting. And the thing that I think is so interesting about this, and this is what I started off talking about, um, is the fact that the, they didn't throw the comics away in, in promoting this line. Like, it was, it was an important part of it to the point that they put a miniature comic book in with the action figure. I just think that's so important because... When you look at a lot of the advertising of the day, and, and I know most of this stuff was sold to children, and, and I guess there's some issues with that with some people or whatever, but, you know, I was thinking about this the other day, and a lot of people I know that are really heavy into comics, they came into comics during this period, you know, mm-hmm. and they remember the superpowers action figures, and they remember the mini comics. And one of the reasons I, I emailed you, Sean, that very first commercial that I saw was because the mini comic is there and they talk about it. And then there's another commercial where they actually show the kids flipping through the mini comic. It reminded me of G.I. Joe. You know, they used to advertise the G.I. Joe comic books on TV in animated commercials, you know? And it just makes me feel like that that was so important to basically, you can use the word indoctrinate, I like to prefer it, you know, introduce, you know, a whole generation of fans um, to all these cool characters and concepts and crazy battles and cool adventures, you know. I sometimes, when I know where they go, they're doing the movies and stuff and whatever, and I always feel like it's like, man, why is, you know, you know like, for example, like this summer coming up, we're going to be seeing Captain America and Thor and, and Green Lantern and that new X-Men movie and whatever. And it's like, how cool would it be to come in there and sit down and before the movie starts, you get you know, some kind of an ad for the Thor comic books or the Captain America comic books or the Green Lantern comic books, you know, um, to again, um, kind of open that door, you know, Hey, check this out or check that out. Or, you know, um, I feel like that's something that the industry is, is still kind of lacking, you know, is, is, um, wow, I'm really on a long tirade that really doesn't have a point. Um, so I'm going to stop talking now. <laughs> you're okay. No, I agree with you. What you're saying is like, they gave up. You know, because I used to all these toys we talk about, I would see these toys on when I was watching the cartoon, you know, and I would, you know, and you stop and you scream and you start looking and going, Mom, can I have this? And can I have because all that stuff would be, you know, during the shows. And that's how you knew that there were no Internet. You know, the the only way you find out about these toys was from a commercial or if you happen to be in a toy store maybe the you know the toy is up there and you you know and you you get it that way but that was all you had commercials was all you had we 
we're going to go ahead and close up this uh, superpowers uh, discussion. I hope that you've enjoyed this talk. Um, uh, Daryl, uh, thank you for uh, coming by and helping me guest uh, host uh, this episode. Uh, once again, I will give you your red Skittles when I see you at Super Show. Please, please stop posting Wilson Phillips videos on my Facebook page. Well, stop asking for it. I don't ask for it. See, because you, you have to get over your dick. I know you, you want to pretend, but you have to accept what's going on. You have to accept your addiction to Wilson Phillips. No, no. See, um, th- that is your sick addiction no, that you, you need to face. See, no, no I, you have to let it go. I'm going to start posting Rockwell videos on your page. And I will dance with it. I mean, <laughs> that's not going to stop. <laughs> and. And what no one can hear is me shaking my head. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But no, seriously, Daryl, thanks for stopping by, man. Thanks for having me, man. And Dave, um, thank you again for coming back by the PKD Black Box and uh, discussing uh, superpowers and getting us all hyped up and wanting us to go on eBay and try to buy back action figures we lost. And um, continued best to you in all of your endeavors. Well, thanks. It was uh, was really cool coming on here and and talking about... uh, these uh, these comics they they were such an important part of my childhood and these action figures and stuff and part of the reason why I get so giddy you know doing the work that I do at DC now is is being able to work on these characters that I grew up with and um, it was just really cool I you know I love the podcast and um, I enjoy all the episodes and everything you do so anytime I get a chance to be a part of it I'm I'm thrilled and and happy to uh, to be here. So thanks for the opportunity. Oh, you're welcome. And where can people find you on the internet? The best place would be at uh, www.davebeatty.com. That's D-A-V-E-B-E-A-T-Y. Um, you can see samples and stuff of my work. Um, and then there's a link there to the, the blog. And the blog will take you to bushytells.com. And that's kind of my informal blog. And sometimes Lynn will post stuff on there. Um, Lynn Workman, who was my partner in Bushytells. Um, but pretty much com right now is pretty much just my blog, but you can find that, uh, by going through DaveBeatty.com. Very so, cool. and you can find me there. And if, if for some bizarre reason you want to be my friend on Facebook, and if you look long and hard enough, you can find me on Facebook too. Now, Daryl, where can they find you and the 45 million podcasts that you are part of? <laughs> well, you can go to the website, uh, that we try very hard to, uh, keep going. Uh, it's comic book roadshow and no apologies dot wordpress dot com and you can see all the different you know the nothing's on with uh, crazy man Donnie Salvo which is we talk TV and uh, argue with each other and do bad impressions of, of actors so we, we do lots of that and um, uh, no apologies you, you catch um, the comic talk and, and, and basically just hanging out having a beer and just talking about stuff you read that week um, which is just fun. And uh, Comic Book Roadshow, we got a couple of nice interviews up uh, with Jimmy Pomiati and and uh, Joe Caramagna. And uh, we got some good stuff coming up, uh, little surprises coming up with some people, um, some uh, comic book people that I think people they'll enjoy hearing. And, um, of course, uh, yeah, I said it with uh, Simba. That's just insanity and I, I can't even describe that and to fix the hideout just more insanity so i tell you what as much as i joke about you being on a gajillion podcast you really put in a lot of work and i always enjoy listening to a lot of the stuff that you do on your podcast with your fellow co-hosts and friends and stuff so continue to hustle and i know that in 2011 the daryl taylor network will uh, become official 
And uh, just remember, when you get all famous from all this podcasting, stop asking me for damn Skittles. No, I want my Skittles, and I'm buying toys. <laughs> all right, then. All right, then. Well, gentlemen, I will talk with both of you soon. All right. You take care. All right. Take care. All right. Good night. And that concludes this week's PKD Black Box. The PKD Black Box is a proud member of the HHWLOD Podcast Network and is available at hhwlod.com and is also available via iTunes. And you can still go to pkdmedia.com to get our podcast, check out our forum, and read comics like Mercury and the Murd, Agents of Cult, and Luke Foster's The Gang from the Store for free. If you're on iTunes or our forum board, feel free to leave us a comment, or you can email us at blackbox at pkdmedia.com. Thanks again for listening. Until then, dream big and hustle hard. So that's cool. Well, that's. Well, I have, um, oh, go, go ahead, Daryl. Go ahead. One more question. It was a cover. You did you you did the cover to Adventure Comics five nineteen with Superman is holding a tractor. Did you? Uh, yeah, yeah, I worked on that one. Because it's some I always I even made that a, a screensaver for a little while. You want to hear a funny story about that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Um, so, to, and, and I'll I'll spare you some of the longer stuff, and I'll try to condense it. I swear. Um, <laughs> basically, when that issue was being um, plotted, um, that we got a note basically from Paul Levitz that basically said that. It was going to be one of those classic time travel stories where the Legion goes back to Smallville and they visit with Superboy and they have some kind of adventure and then they go back to the future, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, our editor, Brian Cunningham, had solicited some ideas. Um, like, you know, what do you, you know, just from everybody, you know, from Paul, from us, whatever, you know, come, come up with some ideas. And so I pitched a couple ideas, Scott pitched a couple ideas, Paul Evitz pitched a couple ideas, and, and the one that everyone seemed to like, except for Paul, unfortunately, um, was Brian in his email had mentioned something about a Norman Rockwell-ish image. And so what I thought would be cool is you've got the tractor, and it's like a broken down tractor in a field. You've got Crypto, you know, and he's got this little super, super dog cape on, and he's kind of kneeling down next to it. And then sitting on the tractor, you've got Saturn Girl and Superboy and Lightning Lad. And then in the field, pointing up into the star, up into the stars, is Cosmic Boy. And it, the idea is is to create a Norman Rockwellish image, where it's like they're telling Superboy about the planets and the, the different solar systems or whatever that they come from, you know. And it's very much a Saturday Evening Post kind of an idea, right? And Brian really liked it. Scott really liked it. And I thought it was cool. And I left to go to the Superman celebration. Was we were going to do that idea. Oh, oh, sorry. So, sorry, to, sorry to cut you off. For some reason, my internet uh, like stopped for a second. But uh, okay. you guys disappeared for a second. Uh, the last thing I heard was Superman celebration. And then it just cut off. Okay. So just pick up from there? Pick up from there. Yes, sir. Okay. So um, I was... Um, on the way to the Superman celebration, and the last I heard is we were going to do that Norman Rockwell-ish type of image. And Scott was already kind of doing some sketches and whatever, and I was all excited because it was my idea, you know, and because I'm just a big comic book geek, and I still can't believe I'm working on this stuff. And um, while well, I was at the Pizza Hut after this, the I think it was the first or second day, 
of the celebration having dinner with my mom who had driven down and my brother who had basically driven down to visit with me. And I get a call on my cell phone. It's like, oh, it's Scott. And I answer the cell phone. And basically, Paul wasn't too keen on the idea. And so he wanted to do something different. So the only thing that remains of my idea is Superboy holding that tractor. That's it. <laughs> That's it. Wow. The rest of it, it's like complete, you know, complete, you know, absolutely nothing like what I was pitching at all. So whenever I see that cover, all I can do is think about what it could have been, you know. And, <laughs> and I think Paul was concerned that if we didn't kind of, you know, ramp up the action, you know what I mean, and, and really turn up the intensity that um, that people maybe uh, might not have res- responded as strongly to it as kind of more the Saturday evening post type of image. Um, and uh, But that was the one we did. And I'm proud of the, the cover nonetheless, but I just, I look at it and it's just so funny because it's, I kept, I kept emailing going, why are we still keeping the tractor? I think that's stupid, you know, but Anyhow, it's that's why Superboy is holding a tractor in that cover. So. Oh, okay. Yeah, it it is a there is a lot of kind of behind the scenes wrangling that goes on because you know these companies invest a lot of money in these books, you know, and and it's uh, and as a small press publisher, of course, Sean, we can both appreciate that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. you want to make the best product you possibly can. So. Yeah. I completely understand, um, you know, with what happened with that cover, you know, it, it made sense, you know, but, um, yeah, there's a lot of behind the scenes changes and revisions and things that go on, um, all the time, all the time on stuff. Um, I'm, I was honestly a little surprised by it, but it definitely goes on. 